Welcome to Toothpaste, the podcast, the other side of dentistry. There are two sides to our great profession. On one side, we have financial independence and personal fulfillment. On the other side, we have financial hardship, depression, and burnout. Why do some dentists thrive in this profession and others struggle to get out of bed in the morning? That is exactly what we are trying to find out. We don't claim to have all the answers, but we talk to some really smart people that can give you some insights on how to thrive in dentistry and life. Thank you for listening. And now for our hosts, Dr. Jessica Gall and Dr. Vincent Buscemi. Smells like strong, although sounds like women. Womo. Okay. Sure. I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard that name. Yeah, it's not not common. What's the nationality? It's not a name. Uh, German. Okay. Uh, so it's Vomo. Vomo. Yeah. Dr. Brian Vomo? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, episode 44. We have 44 episodes. Wow. And it took me this long to get you on. So I want to introduce Dr. <laughs> Brian Vomo. Running out of guests. Yeah, this is, we're actually shutting the podcast down. <laughs> this, is <laughs> this, this is it. Um, I'm not even going to put up this podcast. Yeah. So Brian has a PhD in clinical psychology no no counseling education oh my god podcast is over I don't even know. <laughs> it's even worse <laughs> what's yeah. the difference uh well clinical psychology is uh geared towards psychodynamic you look closer kind of Freudian per- you're perfect yeah um they do you know a lot well a lot of the clinical work and then they do a lot of testing and assessment stuff so uh our focus uh, a little different than that we're in the field of education but we also have mental health counselors or school counselors too because you're also a therapist too yeah that's my primary focus so, okay yeah you I'll, teach at oakland still um the last uh, class i taught was the summer so um, what was the class practicum which is um it's where students transition into um working with clients so, okay you know my role there is to supervise and lead them through that kind of first initial phases of uh working in a clinical setting is it nuts that some people are therapists and they have little life experience? Like if you're 27 and you're therapizing people? Well, you know, a lot can happen in 27 years. Yeah. A lot can happen in 22 years. Yeah. You know, so we That's have, a good point. You know, we have students who come in that are, um, you know, fresh out of undergrad, but because of where they're coming from in life, they've, they've lived quite a life, you know. So uh, age isn't always like a factor against people. And sometimes it works in, in the student's favor as well. So when you meet with somebody who's younger, you meet with a, a child or an adolescent, there's a bit of a connection because they don't see you as so far away that you're unrelatable. Yeah. Uh, and the primary focus of, of counseling or, or any kind of therapeutic interaction is the relationship. So being able to build a relationship really doesn't get constrained exactly by age, right? So you can have 50-year-olds that don't have uh, as much life experience or don't have that ability to build relationships, and so they can struggle despite their, their, you know, trips around the sun. Yeah. So is empathy a skill needed to be a therapist? Yeah, absolutely. Can yeah. it be learned? That's a, well, yeah, I think so to a degree. But when, when is it learned primarily is probably in your childhood. Okay. So it's hard to come to, I guess you probably self-select out, right? Because like there's a lot, of, there's not a lot of people in therapy training that have low empathy. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you'd imagine that the people who kind of gravitate towards uh, psychology or counseling would be people who are on that uh, higher end of that scale. Okay. Um, so, so do you have a private practice or do you, are you in schools or institutions? No, I mean, I have a private practice. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So I work, you know, um, 
on just, a referral basis? Is yeah, that yeah. Okay. Pretty much. Um, people find me through people that know me usually. Okay. I'd I like to refer my friend Vince to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm untherapizable. I'm, I'm <laughs> Therapize. Is that the, a word? Yeah, I just okay. made that. There's got to be some <laughs> clients that come to you, and I want you to tell me their names and their phone numbers, <laughs> that you got to think to yourself, like, there's nothing. Oh, is this true? Do you think, like, there's nothing I can do to help this person? I think sometimes if you start to feel that you can't be effective, that the scale in which you're looking at uh, change is probably too big. Um, most people will benefit from therapy, and I think it's, even if it's in small ways, right? Okay. Um, so that might mean like they, you know, they don't have life transforming things happen in terms of like they they you know, start working when they never worked before or something like that. But maybe it's just something like uh, they're able to connect and share with an individual when before they were in complete isolation. Right? Okay. So Small improvements. Yeah, yeah. And I think so. So on that scale, I think, it, you know, anything's possible. Um, but then you have diagnosis like, you know, antisocial personality disorder and, and things like that that are much harder to work with. And, um, you know, the, the results of therapy aren't necessarily always trending upwards right so what is antisocial personality disorder what people commonly call psychopaths and that's where so lack of empathy lack of, so yeah. is a psychopath someone that let's say a psychopath kills someone they feel zero remorse yeah that's one way to think about it sure okay yeah. i think it's overused personality disorder just by the public i feel like everyone throws that around yeah. or sociopath yeah do you Probably. So that's a good um, question. What, yeah, is it, what is it really? Have you it's met a sociopath in real life? Or a psychopath or somebody who's anti-social. Uh, is sociopath or... different from psychopath? No. So that that's kind of a misnomer too. I believe it's just like kind of um, same the same word for describing the same or a different word for describing the same thing. Okay. You know, so be, the clinical diagnosis is antisocial personality disorder. So that's what we would say in a clinical setting that. You know, if somebody has lack of empathy, kind of on the narcissistic side, um, you know, like you, you're saying, like no remorse, very self-serving, very self-centered, that's going to be antisocial. Okay. And you've met an antisocial person? Yeah, several through the course of my my so, uh, career. Is it unsettling to sit next to someone that... Yeah, it, that's a great point, actually. You're, you, you know, in terms of working with somebody who has a personality disorder and meeting them, it's often something you feel in the interaction before you can like put your intellectual finger on it and, and label it. Um, so it, it can be unsettling, but it, it's actually pretty rare that a person with um, antisocial or narcissism shows up in your office. I'm just going to ask that question because they probably think nothing's wrong with them. Well, exactly. They're That's not part seeking of it. therapy yeah. typically. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, and when they do come, it's, it's going to be because the court orders counseling or um, they're in some relationship in which the other person is mandating them to go if they want to stay. And is that, gets you a little closer to the mic, is that sure. other person in the room with you guys? No, no. Well, no, I mean, unless they were in a couple setting. Okay. You know, but I don't do couples counseling, so. Do you ever tell a person, I think you're a narcissist or a sociopath? How does that work? I'm sure they would blow up on you. Um. Yeah, I... I um. In my career, no, I haven't. Okay. I haven't come out and said like, "Oh, I'm wondering about that." But again, I've met these people. I don't. You don't typically have long-standing relationships. Yeah. In that sense, at least you know, for me, I haven't. Um, but would it be part of the 
the diagnosis. I think oftentimes you would want to refer somebody out in that case to to see like an expert that works with that. Okay, so there's other psychologists. I mean, I'm assuming I can call you a psychologist because you're. Yeah, I mean, um, I guess. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we so you can do the same job with a different license, and that's kind of what it fundamentally comes down to. Okay. So a counselor, a social worker, or a psychologist can all do outpatient, you know, talk therapy. So there's people out there that specialize just in treating sociopathy. Um, yeah, yeah. people just research it as well. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So I think one of the things, Jessica, maybe you'd agree that I was very poor at is finding these red flags in people moving through life. What are some of these red flags you see in these clients that you could like express to our listeners, like watch out for this or somebody acts this way. That's a huge red flag that they could hurt you down the road. Well, I want to add to that too. You know, there are different personalities that are, are good. Like, there are people that you would want to work for you or with you. That's one type of person. There are people you'd want to be in a relationship with or not. So there's all different, you know, a little bit of that might be okay for your office, but not for your marriage. Mm. Right. Yeah. So depending on what your, what relationship you're getting into with a certain individual, what do you look out for? You know, in those different settings, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, what's a, sense? a red flag for marriages? Yeah. Well, I, I think what, to your point, there's a scaling effect, right? So people will have all kinds of different symptoms or presentations of personality elements, but they might not reach a clinical level, right? Okay. So think about like empathy in itself. Like we can be very empathetic to the people in our life, right? But we might hear something on the news and we we react to it very differently than if we if it was our child or our family member, right? Mm -hmm. Because we can't kind of have that extended empathy across the world or every time the news would come on, we would, we would kind of crumble. Yeah. Right. So there's levels of this as well. I think that's important to kind of think about, um, you know, so somebody who could be aggressive or seem cold, that could be to their advantage at times in life too. And it might not be pervasive to the level of diagnosing it as a, as a personality disorder. And then some people feel everything. They see the news and they'll be depressed or for days mm. right so there's that side of the spectrum yeah. that would be too much empathy right we let too many things in i mean it'd be hard to kind of label something like that and say that's exactly what it was but what it is but i mean it, yeah it could be a lack of assertiveness or, or even like integration of aggression into the personality okay you know because we need those things in life too. You know, you need to be able to say no. You need to be able to show your your teeth and maybe even bite somebody if you have to. Yeah. You know? um, and so, you know, you have these red flags or something comes up. Um, I don't know if it would be exactly what you would say, well, that is psychopathy or that is something that, you know, is always connected to it. Could be. Okay. It might not justify that, right? Um, so I don't know how to, how to kind of specifically answer that question and say well if you see this one thing run away run away yeah it, it might not be fair to to people to say that okay know? i found because i swear and I'm, I'm a psychologist that i've met one psychopath in my life yeah. um one of the things this person would always do was always tell these elaborate stories where he was battling someone in the past not physically but like in a business deal or something and always came on top and always crushed his competition mm -hmm. and they're all elaborate lies mm -hmm. and that was something that was such a consistent theme in this person's life mm -hmm. where they're creating this narrative that they're shoving down your throat like this is who i am 
Mm-hmm. Have you seen that in some of your? Yeah, that I mean, I and again, I would never want to diagnose somebody that I'm not working with. Sure. But, but when we see people who kind of boast in that manner and, and inflate who they are, we often think of like narcissism. Okay, you know? and that's different from sociopathy. It's, it is, yeah. Okay. Um, it has elements of it. They're they're clustered. Personality disorders are kind of clustered together because they share kind of elements. And one of the shared elements between antisocial personality and narcissism is it tends to be a lack of empathy. Okay. But narcissism can kind of come in. There, there's, I, I want to say there might be three presentations of it, but I know of two. Um, there's kind of vulnerable narcissism, and then there's grandiose. Um, grandiose are people kind of that uh, really believe deep down that they're like the best thing ever you know and then the vulnerable narcissist is somebody who's been so deeply wounded that they're they've kind of swung very back very hard back the other direction to kind of inflate themselves as a protective mechanism Uh, but underneath there's there's just a whole lot of insecurity so the vulnerable narcissist is insecure but the grandiose narcissist even if something goes wrong they don't feel bad about themselves right okay they'll never you a, a narcissist won't uh, kind of introspect and say, well, what did I do here that kind of got me into this situation? Mm-hmm. They're more like, what did everyone else around me do that made this go wrong? Yeah. Yeah. We're not a political podcast at all, but would you think Donald Trump is a grandiose narcissist? Um, I, I mean, again, I don't know the relationship that he had with You, you parents, haven't met him but, personally? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I, w- I would... He certainly comes off as such. To, yeah. Right? I, but, but yeah. He, I don't know his history, but I believe he had a pretty rough childhood with his dad. Okay. Um, so, you know, that I would look to see some some of it from a vulnerable lens, hmm. um, but I don't know. You know, I haven't studied him uh, in that way. Extensively. Yeah. I mean, he seems to be the best thing ever in his opinion, <laughs> so, you know, right. take that from He's some is. form of it, yeah. yeah. That's so interesting, because you wonder, like, what happens during your childhood that would create this person, because... I'm sure maybe psychology doesn't even know. Is it genetic or is it environmental or is it the whole, is it both? Yeah. I think like most things, you know, there's an interplay okay. between your environment and, and your biology. But, um, I mean, the environment is super important. Yeah. 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 Right. It's massively important. If you don't have the right environment, the, you know, things don't happen. Yeah. So, um, so it goes back to like what you asked earlier about empathy and, and is that, like a learned behavior and, and it it's maybe or maybe it's like fundamentally part of the human experience but through trauma through through poor experiences in your childhood you can unlearn empathy you can unlearn empathy yeah okay yeah. Because, well i mean if if you're trying to reach out to others right yeah which you would do as a child um oh shit that's okay all right um again Keep going. Yeah. But when you try to reach out to others and um, they're not there for you to support you, to, to comfort you, uh, how long do you do that before you just kind of give up doing that? Right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes too, like I've thought before, your childhood, you know, ends at a certain point. So how far back can you go and keep saying, my childhood, my childhood, my childhood? Mm-hmm. And, and I've thought about that for myself because there were... You know, we had some, there were some personalities in my childhood that weren't positive, certainly. And it's like, well, you know, now as I'm in my mid forties, it's like, am I going to keep blaming that on everything that happens to me or how I react? I, no, 
I mean, that, that ended for me probably 20 years ago because I wanted it to. Mm -hmm. So do you think that, I mean, do you talk about that with your patients? At some point you have to leave that childhood behind and say, okay, I'm going to live my life how I want, not because of how I was raised. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you bring up a good point. At what point do you kind of say, okay, those are the things that had happened to me, so what am I going to, to do with that? Yeah. You know, how am I going to move forward? Yeah. Um, Don't let that define me, in other words, right. forever. Yeah. I mean, right? it's a very it's a very good point. You have to kind of at some point look at where you're at and, and how you got there and then decide what you're going to do with it. And I think ultimately, like through therapy, that's one of the, you know, one of the potential places you want to take people. Right. Yeah. And uh, sometimes you have to kind of dig into why are you having these automatic responses and, and how are you seeing the world and where does that come from? And, you know, oftentimes it does come from those early relationships and your experiences. Um you know, childhood is like the software that gets downloaded into your brain. Right. right? And you run that program over and over again. And then you, when you come in contact with very stressful experiences, you know, you default to the programs that you know best. And those might be maladaptive for the current situation, even if they were adaptive at the time. Okay. You know, so they might, yeah. have, they, there, there might be strategies that had worked for you at different points in your life. They no longer do. Then you have to kind of wonder, what do I do with this? How do I update that software? How okay. do I start running a new program? Can you give us an example of something that was adaptive maybe in your late teens, 20s, and male adaptive in your 30s or 40s? No, I mean, uh, addiction can be like that. Okay. You, know, you can you can use substances or other forms of release that at the time maybe the consequences were you know, manageable. Um, but as you age and your responsibilities change, those those consequences compound and they're no longer adaptive. Okay. Right? Um, another example would be like maybe responding to situations with anger, right? Like at certain times, like that kept people away and you needed to keep those people away because they were harmful. Um, but now you kept everybody away. Okay. Right? Now you've, you've isolated yourself with that persona or that, that part of you and you're isolated, you're lonely and you're depressed. You, you know, it, yeah. that makes sense. Oh my gosh, it's yeah. almost like maybe in your 20s, your anger kept away I don't, you're like a terrible stepfather or an aggressive neighbor, mm. but then you get married and your anger keeps away your loving wife or your loving kids. And mm. I can definitely see how that can be mm. depressing because now you're pushing away the people you love, but mm. you have no idea how to handle stress. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, or the fear of that intimacy, right? Yeah. Because you know, if you're... if one of the conditions of being human is you want connection and you want love, right? That's primal. That's very, very deep. And uh, when you get betrayed or, or abandoned or neglected, those things really hurt, right? And so, you, but the, the the desire to be connected and the love is still there, you know? So, but you're so fearful of those relationships, right? And that plays out uh, with whatever relationship you have. Yeah. You know? So do you think, so... I'm, I'm not speaking negatively because I had a wonderful hygienist. She left for another job, but she would always say, when people ignore me, I go into a very dark place. And I imagine that has to be rooted somewhere in childhood where somebody's ignored and like all those negative memories come back up. Who is she talking about? Was she talking about? Like, even at work, something little at work. Like, hey, I need this hygiene exam. Oh. And, like, like, or I have to go to the bathroom or like, I have to do something else. I can't right. check her patient right away. She gets this trigger, and she was open about it. I get triggered where you're. I think you're ignoring me, and I see it as an attack, and like I'm worthless. Mm -hmm. And that's got to be somewhere in early in her life where she 
felt that way and now she's being male adaptive as an adult is that along the same lines yeah and i would wonder too like um i mean i don't know this person but i i my question would be like how far along could that happen you know like it's so betrayals at any point in life can alter us yeah you know so uh let's say you're in a marriage and you really believe in your partner and that it's going to last forever and they stray on you and cheat and then the next thing you know your whole world blows up and and you know everything that you thought you had is a lie and that's really really damaging because not only is it well i trusted you and you betrayed me but it's like who am i right like i picked you yeah and so i can i even Mm -hmm. trust myself you know so these things can happen maybe even later in a person's life if they're deep enough wounds right so how do i trust me to, to pick people that are safe yeah. So, and then you're in a place where you can't trust anyone and yourself. And that's really, really scary. So when you talked about these deeper wounds, what are some of these wounds that people come in and see you for? Um, I mean, all kinds of things. People will, will come in uh, because of something that reaches back into childhood and is playing out today. Or, or some people will come in because life is pretty damn hard as it is, you know, and, and, uh, if you live long enough, you're going to run into troubles, right? Yeah, you know, that's so, so true. You know, my clientele tends to be um, men of uh, similar age, you know, somewhere between, I would say, uh, 28 and, you know, 45 or 50. Um, you know, a lot of them are young fathers, uh, children, balancing work, balancing marriage, you know, responsibilities with extended family and other parts of their life uh i still work with some younger uh, you know emerging adults i would say you know 18 to 26 that's a kind of a portion of my clientele as well okay you know so um one of the ways i like to really frame um work with people is through like the anxieties of entering unknown places uh, you know, so crossing different thresholds in their life. A lot of people will come to me in states of transition. Okay. Of some kind, you know, whatever that looks like. It might be, hey, I just graduated high school or, or college and where do I go and who am I and what's my life going to be? Uh, pretty big questions to answer. Right. You know, or it's like, I just had this kid and I thought I kind of knew what was going on, but what is this, you know? Or, you know, here's my relationship and where does it go from here, you know? Are a lot of the que- oh, oh go ahead. Are a lot of the questions during transition, who am I? Because I feel like when I'm transitioning in phases of life, and you, know, you get to that next phase and you don't know shit and things aren't going right, you're like, oh my god, who am I? Mm-hmm. Is that a lot of the questions? That- yeah, I mean, I, in some manner, identity, right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Who am I, or what does it say? You know? Who yeah. Am, where, where is this going to take me? What is this going to become? Right. Or I don't know what to do here. One one choice seems okay here, but then there's cons and negatives. If I pick that, if I go this direction, like what's gonna happen there? It's uncertainty and unknown and scary. Yeah. yeah. That all seems like normal life stuff that you're talking about, doesn't it? And I, I kind of feel like you should be seeing everyone at a certain age. Um, like in high school, for example. You know, we all take these classes, these required classes, but at some point, don't you think it'd be beneficial if if kids, especially like high school, you know, 16, 17, sat down with someone like yourself and talked about everything, just everything that's going on with them individually? It seems like we should be doing that for people. 
Yeah, I think uh, people will benefit, right? Like from through the relationship with somebody that's really interested in, and wants to know what they're doing and who they are and where they're going, what their dreams are and, you know, what their holdups are and all of that and can fully accept them. So one of the things that we see, well, the thing that we see is promotes change in therapy is the relationship itself. So any technique that you do, this is why it's kind of in some manner, a bit unimportant. If you see a psychologist or a social worker or a counselor, it doesn't really matter. What matters most is how do you connect to that person? Because that's going to account for the biggest amount of change. Now, can you learn that in your training to give you ways to connect? Or is, cause I've known you for 20 years now, maybe more. Um, and you can connect with people immediately, but you have an innate talent for that. Yeah. Is that something that the schooling teaches you to do? So there are techniques, right? This is this is the fundamental element of counseling. It comes from Carl Rogers. Okay. And, and so he he had some principles of like unconditional positive regard and authenticity, and um, so there's some skills that kind of come out of that framework or philosophy that if you if you uh, orientate yourself to and use, you will see your relationships kind of grow and improve, uh, especially in the therapeutic sense and probably elsewhere, right? Um, for sure elsewhere so you can you can learn those tools but it is my experience that you know there's a wide range of talent in anything right and some yeah. people are very good naturally at something and some people aren't so good at that and but can be trained and can get kind of good at something or maybe can come a really long way um so in my work with students though i mean you you can see some people from the very start just fit in and get it and and just trust in that they are the tool that um, is useful for people right but others can kind of come along but there's always going to be that range yeah so in dentistry and you see this too in any field some dentists can make your teeth healthier and better some dentists can make it worse mm. do you see some students you're like oh my god they're gonna like make people worse oh yeah we've we've had you know in my my time at the university i've had <laughs> students like that for sure do you have to expel or kick these students out yeah we've yeah for sure yeah. like unfit for the profession yeah i mean kind it's of thing. exactly yeah. it's, it's kind of a gatekeeping from an ethical duty point of view you have mm. to be because you don't want a terrible surgeon cutting you open but that happens in dentistry do yeah you remember people leaving the program after a couple of years yeah they get kicked yeah. out because a therapist can do equally bad damage they call it career change <laughs> career change. yeah <laughs> like clear dogs yeah what are these students exhibiting that they're not going to be good therapists uh, oh, I'll try to think of examples of this, but um, I mean, the, the word that comes to my head is kind of lack of boundaries or unprofessional boundaries. Okay, give uh, me an example. Um, you know, it might be um, more like it, it could be as bad as like telling people like what to do or sharing or oversharing about themselves or okay, um, you know. Eh, Good, good. Oh, man. I don't want to get into like specific Like what examples. they did. Yeah, yeah. but like yeah. what I'm hearing from you is like as a therapist, you're not giving advice. No. But you're leading this person to hopefully a better version of themselves. Yeah, fundamentally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, well, if you give somebody advice, like what if it backfires? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My therapist said I should break up my girlfriend and I'll. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's. I mean, is it better to tell somebody what to do or to, to help them learn to tell themselves what to do? Do you yeah. struggle with that sometimes with clients? You're like, I know this is the right answer for them. Like, stop drinking alcohol. 
Maybe not really. Okay. I wouldn't say that's a big struggle. Um, because I, the, the fundamental belief for me is that, you know, people will have to learn through their, their experiences. And if they're not going to be ready, uh, to hear it, then they're just not there yet, you know? And that means that they might have to continue to do what they're doing until they're no longer ready to, or no longer willing to do that. Yeah. You know? Um, I mean, there's, there's times where you might say something like, like, you know, you said this particular thing, and I think it's, you know, I think we should come back to that and really look at this for a minute, right? Like, there's that kind of direction. Like, it's coming from you, and what does that mean? And so let's bring you back and focus your your attention here for a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, which is different to say that, like, here's your answer. Yeah. You know, so there's, overall, there's a non-directedness of, of therapy, especially the way I'm orientated to do it. So I'm not telling people we got to do X, Y, and Z, and it's very structured. But as I listen to people, I'm selecting what I, you know, I'm directing it in a sense by what I say next and how I bring it back to them or how I highlight something, right? So as much as it's non-directive, there is a bit of direction. But there's got to be some direction, right? But that direction is or is coming from my philosophy, right? From from my theoretical lens, right? Okay. So, so I, like, and that's what theory is exactly. It's like it. It's like you got a big piece of meat, and theory helps you cut all that fat that you don't need and get rid of it. And what it leaves is what you need to look at. And so that if you really know a theory, that's what it's helping you do is select what's important. So what is your theory? So my uh, orientation is existential more than anything. So looking at the themes of of meaning in somebody's life, suffering. Um, what does the word existential mean? It, it Roughly like the meaning. The meaning. You know, okay. Meaning. So when what's people say I'm having an existential crisis, what does yeah. that mean when they say that? I don't know what it's all for. That yeah, why okay. am I here? What's I always the, hear that. Ever. What's what's this for? Yeah. 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 So, and what I like about the existentialists is that they help identify those themes of what it's like to be human. So, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of shared ideas with re, um, religious thought here too. So like life is pain and suffering that's inherent. Right. Um, so why, why bother? Yeah. You know, what is your why? So like Nietzsche said, if, if you have a, a why, you can bear anyhow, right? So if, you, if you're in pain and in suffering and you don't have a reason, you're not getting through it. Yeah. You know, but if you have, a, if you find that why, it ceases to be as bad, you know? So, so those are things that I really listen for fundamentally. And then the other part of my uh, orientation would be person-centered or Rogerian principles, which is like you know, unconditional positive regard, try to really accept people for who they are and where they're at and be an authentic version of who I am as well. What is unconditional positive regard? It's essentially like that non-judgment principle. Oh, oh it is. Okay. Right? Yeah. So, you know, like the, the, the idea of unconditional, like, so Vince, I'm only going to accept you if you stop drinking. Right. That's yeah. not, that's a, on a condition. Okay. I'll love you if, right. And it's like, no, we're just going to accept you for who you are, your flaws, you know, the fact that you did this or did that or whatever it might be. So, so we're not going to, we're not going to hold you up for making a mistake in life. So that's probably good for therapy. But I imagine for like relationships, you can't have that. Cause like if your spouse is drinking wildly or doing meth, like you can't be with them for that. You can still accept them. You don't have to live in the same house as them. Okay. Oh, I see. Maybe you love them for who they are, but like yeah. we cannot continue. Can, they as... can be over there. And you can love them. Yeah. But you don't have to incorporate your life with them, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, what you can accept and what you choose yeah. to tolerate in your environment maybe be different. 
Right. Do you see trends? Because you've been a therapist for how long now? Um, Let's see. Maybe 12 years. 12 years. So maybe maybe more. 12 years ago to today, are people coming in for different anxieties or different worries? I don't know. I don't think so. Right. Um, Mainly because of the way I think. I see the world is through the themes of being human, right? So those existed 10 years ago. They existed 10,000 years ago in some capacity, right? They're just modern forms of those themes. Yeah. Do you think that people have self-esteem issues or insecurities because of social media? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's even some research that is supporting that right now. You know? Yeah, um, that's that's the major change I see because you, you, know, you look online, even though we know that that's not, reality mm. it still affects you yeah yeah i think that that's the bombardment of media is certainly an, uh, something that is an issue especially yeah. for young people you know we used to be able to go home from school and leave it all there and you know the kids come home right. and they have they're all tied in and so you know if there's drama at school or, or bullies it can follow them in electronic format as well you know i don't work with a lot of teens right now either so i don't see the the impact it has on um uh, on children right now as much but um but even with adults like we're always tied into the media and the news and if you're if you're feeding your brain fear mm-hmm. you're gonna feel like shit you know you're gonna yeah. think bad too right and yeah you know you you started off by saying like oh you can say whatever you want on the podcast and oh can you <laughs> like, yeah. can you really say whatever you want people people get all after you for, yeah. for maybe even expressing your opinion so um you know and that's all over online, and I think that it's bombarding people all the time. And you know, you know the news is is a fear based industry that makes yeah. you oh for sure want to click on the next thing. And uh, you eat bad food, you're gonna feel bad, and you consume bad stuff, you're gonna feel bad. I find that we had a guest on that is a digital wellness consultant. His name is Mark Ostash, amazing guy. But he talks about like eating proteins healthy for you, or eating a salad healthy for you. Think of that when you're consuming social media. Mm. Like Instagram is like refined sugar. And like a 3,000 word article in some whatever journal is like protein for you. That if you eat this terrible social media, you're going to feel awful after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I agree with that. Yeah. And I, I, think, I, I don't think um, that the average person really understands that. And then that lesson isn't being taught to their children, right? So, And it know, should be. Yeah. Yeah. And in a very simplistic form like that, yeah. right? I mean, it's like oh, for sure. Instagram is like a bag of onions. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. The first three are good. It's fun. But yeah. <laughs> that's good. really good. Yeah. I find myself, if I'm on social media too long, I'll look at like 10 dentists that make $2 million a year. I'm like, oh, You're like they're all better what, than me. What yeah. the fuck? I, I don't make that much money. I'm terrible. Right. And your brain can't tell the difference right away. Because once you see that, I feel like an hour later, I'll feel bad. Mm-hmm. Although I, maybe the person's making this up. My brain's not telling me that maybe they're fake. Well, yeah. And you don't know what the cost of that $2 million is. Exactly. You don't know the emotional cost. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Our last guest, guest, Alan Mead, said that like you have no idea. If someone's making this money, has this life, you don't know what's on the other side, no. what they sacrifice to get there. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly something. Yeah. You know, everything is a sacrifice. It's like you don't get to um, choose if you get to make a sacrifice or not. You just choose what you sacrifice in life. Yeah. You know, time, energy, whatever it might be. What are you sacrificing in life? I mean, I 
I guess what I could be doing is building a business in a, in a bigger way, but then that would sacrifice time with the family, right? So, okay. you know, I could stay out later and work later, or I could kind of balance my life the way I do. And, uh, you know, it's not perfect and there's stress in life, right? But it's pretty damn good. <laughs> you know, I'm in a better spot than I thought I would be. Yeah. You know? That's all you can ask for. If you can, like, look at your life and say, I'm in a better spot now than I thought I'd be yeah. now. Yeah. Well, when we met, you know, we are 21 years old or 20 years old. We yeah. had no idea what the future is going to be. And you're just kind of walking into it and hoping for the, for the best and trying to navigate it and figure it out. And, you know, now my the way things are set up, you know, I get to be home in the morning and see the kids off to school. And I work a little bit in the morning and then I go to the gym and then I go back to work some days and some days I don't. And one day a week I work late. What day is that? On Thursday. Thursday, okay. Yeah. yeah, so other than that, you know, I work Saturday morning and, you know, I pretty much have three to four days off a week and, um, you know, every night but one with the kids. So you, you can't you can't really complain about that. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, the, the alternative would be to, you know, grind more and build a, a clinic or something like that. And yes, you make a ton of money, but what are you giving up? Exactly. And you might decide to do that later. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, who knows? Sure. Like there, there's that, and and or not, you could scale yeah. up, and it might be when the the kids are in a different place in their life, or you know, it, it's just you. You know, when you add something like that, you're going to add the stress that comes with it too. Right. Right. And do you want to deal with that, or are you happy with the things you have here? And, yeah. You know. So, so I I want to add to that. You know, you said you're when you're 21, you don't know what what's going to happen in life. I don't think we ever know what's going to happen in yeah. life. I mean. You know, I think about where I am now, where I was 10 years ago. It's people, there's always something coming at you. Yeah. I mean, people come and go in and out of your life. People die. Yeah. You're on a new trajectory when that happens. That's for so, sure. So I think that, um, and I know you know this and you know this too, but it's, um, I think people think, oh, it's like everything's perfect right now. Well, guess what? <laughs> it's going to change for the better, for the worse. Mm. It's always fluctuating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like that actually, yeah. because I think that keeps you on your toes, you know, things shouldn't stay the same. Yeah. And it's probably boring if it does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe some people think it stays the same. It doesn't. To your point is good. It's, I, I heard a good thing. Never assume like the future is going to be better. Don't think the worst, but like be happy now. What? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Be happy with what you have now. Cause if you think like, oh man, once I make 200,000, then I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe you made 200000 and then like... You want so more. You don't know this, but my, my sister has cancer. Mm. So maybe you finally get the business you want in Bloomfield mm. and then someone in your family gets cancer. So yeah. like you need to enjoy right now because you have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. And like, you've had tragedy in your life. You've had tragedy in your life. And it's you're so right. If you live long enough, something's going to hit you sideways. You got to appreciate the little things you have right now. Yeah. No, that's right. I'm sorry to hear about oh, it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um. You know, I, I would kind of add to that, though, you know, going back to like when when you're young and you're not established, the one thing that you don't have there is beliefs. Well, not, maybe some do, but some don't know exactly that they can get through this, that they can, yeah. they can navigate something. Right. So as life changes, because you don't have the experience. Exactly. Yet. So and yeah. that's that's part of uh, kind of maturity or self-development is that, yes, these things around us are going to change, but we have a belief that we can kind of adapt and overcome some of the struggles that we have. And that comes through having lived through some of those forest yeah. fires in our life. And um, so as you kind of go through life, you clarify who you are in a way, 
right? And you clarify your ability. And some that's the tragedy is when you lose faith in yourself that you can, um, you know, overcome those unknowns or those those travesties that come your way. Yeah, that's very well said. Have faith in yourself because you know we all know people who every time you see them they just talk about the negative things that are happening, and negative things are happening to everyone. So the positive people are dealing with it in a totally different way. Um, people, some people, they just keep rebuilding, rebuilding, rebuilding. That's me. Um, not that I'm, you know, saying, oh, I'm, I'm so great, but there are a lot of reasons I could be depressed and angry <laughs> all the time. Yeah. And all of us. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, I just feel like because it's changing so much, you just have to kind of you know, roll with it, adapt, and then learn a new skill, maybe pivot, you know, that word's overused, but, but it's true. And then, you know, figure out what's, what's next to the best of your ability. Cause the next day, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, yeah, look what just happened in Florida. Those people didn't plan for that. It's like all of a sudden their houses are floating down the street and you know, like something like that is, is a, like a pretty big example of, how you just don't know what's going to happen. And so. isn't it crazy? Some of the people that suffer the most trauma, sometimes the most positive yeah. or empathetic people you deal with, and you're like, oh my gosh, you had this attitude and this happened to you? That's so true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, think about like, you know, the Elton John story. I don't know if you guys saw his biography, no, no. but he had a he had a rough start in life and you know, no support, terrible parents, just kept getting abused and treated horribly and and just kept, you know, doing what he wanted to do and and was very, very successful, obviously. But, you know, a good attitude, like a really loving person, but horrible, horrible life, yeah. horrible childhood. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of respect for people like that because, I don't know, they weathered the storm and they're still positive. Mm. So they're not trying to inflict pain on other people because mm. they had a bad experience. And we know people like that, too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, why are things so good for you? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So, oh, you see some people that have had no, like their parents have smoothed all the bumps in their life and they complain about the smallest thing. You think to yourself, yeah. oh my gosh, you have no idea what's actually going to hit you in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or not, maybe. I mean, I, I mean something. You, yeah, something you, always. It's always going to yeah. hit you. Yeah. yeah. So what, I guess what's this real quick. What are your thoughts on life coaches? Um, and none of them listen to the podcast, so you can be <laughs> open about it. I just can't, you've gone to you went to school for what ten years? You got a PhD. Yeah. How is somebody a life coach? And what is a life coach? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know because you you asked me what are what are your thoughts on life coaches? Well, I haven't thought a lot about them. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't really because you said in therapy what you don't want to do is give advice. Yeah. I feel like all life coaching is giving advice. It sounds like that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's what your coach does, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. hey, do this technique this way. You know, try this. Go, go back and you know work on that thing. Right. Um. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, it sounds like a dynamic where certain people want other people to take the responsibility. So this goes back to like existentialism, right? So, um, people want freedom. At least they say they want freedom, but that's actually a really terrifying thing to have is freedom because that means whatever you do you're responsible for. So you say you want it, but when you actually act for yourself, that means you're responsible for the things you do. That's terrifying, right? So 
we might not know that intellectually, but we know that on some level. And uh, if we don't want to take responsibility, we'll hire somebody that will tell me how to live my life. So that's a life yeah. coach. Do you think they well, could that's be my theory just it. someone who encourages <laughs> you in a positive way? Because that's what that's how I I don't know what a life coach is. Do you have either. a life coach? I don't. Okay. No, no. But I, you know, I I have it in my head that a life coach just encourages you to do things like a cheerleader, like positive things. Yeah. yeah like a coach would, yeah. you know, maybe there's um, different applications. When I hear yeah. life coach, yeah. I think like they're like you, they're sitting down. They're like, let's talk about your childhood. Yeah. yeah this seems like practicing know. without a license. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know really what they do. I don't want to talk about yeah. my childhood. I'm yeah. just going to say that. Like if I went to therapy and they said, let's talk about your childhood. I'd be like, let's start in my thirties mm-hmm. because I've already rehashed that story way too many times and I'm, I'm done with it. Yeah. That's how I feel. Why do you think, I know you guys touched on this, by the way, listeners, I spilled water all over Brian and I, spilled his beer. I got his pant, <laughs> pants wet. Why can some people get over their childhood and other people can't? I don't know. You don't know? Because <laughs> you know it's an individual thing. Yeah. Right? Okay. And but I, I think some people just want to blame something for everything. Yeah. And that's an easy scapegoat. But your poor parents, like, let's say your parents did their best. And you, cause I'm a, you're a parent, young parent, I'm a parent, you're a parent. You did your best. Your kids still hate you. Your poor parents, they weren't trying to hurt it's you. Horrible. You know, my experience with people that end up having those strained relationships with their parents have pretty good reasons. Pretty good reasons. Okay. Yeah. There's some some pretty deep traumas that exist, you know, that are even hard to kind of comprehend unless you you hear people's stories. And then you realize, like, you know, and it's not easy for people to walk away from this either. You know, it's built deeply into our culture. You know, thou shall honor our mother and father. I mean, that's as biblical as it gets, right? So it's it's in the Western, you know, culture. It's probably in every culture deeply rooted that you... Uh, orientate positively to your parents from the start, right? But that's even biological, right? Yeah. You look up and that, yeah, love is right there right away because you need that person to be there for you. And if you come to a place in life where you can't stand that person that was supposed to be there for you, it wasn't because of no reason. Okay. Yeah. You know, there's something that really happened to uh, justify coming to that conclusion. And Again, in my clinical experience, when people get there and they're like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, it isn't easy for them. I can't imagine. It's not easy to to, to feel like I got to put a wall up or a boundary or I got to walk away entirely. You know? So I think about that. Can you imagine you grow up and one of your sons is like, I hate my dad and you hate them? Like, it would be, be, be a hell. It would be hell. Yeah. Living hell on earth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 But what do you, you know, you got to blame them or you have to look at yourself. So something you did got them there. Yeah. You know, to a degree. But, you know, we, as parents, they're often, uh, we, we could put too much on ourselves. You know, and another thing that happens is they go into the world and they have their experiences as well. So the the peer groups and the schools will shape them too, mm-hmm. you know, for for good or for That's worse. That's a really but, good point. We put so much on, the, yeah. on ourselves. For raising kids. Well, they're getting input from other sources yeah. not just us and that and so our job often is like once they go out into the world it's and they come back with that data let's call it right we help them make sense and interpret some of that and navigate yeah. some of that as well right because you know we as as parents like the, the fundamental principle is you know if you if you think of a, a v like in the very 
crotch of that V is like age zero, right? And then the boundaries open up until you're, they're kind of on their own. Does that make sense? So like yeah. the, the principle is, is that you allow the child to encounter what you believe them just, just a little bit past what you think they're capable of. Okay. Right. So they can experience that thing and grow as an individual. Right. Is they call scaffolding in psychology. Um, scaffolding. Yeah. It's scaffolding. Yeah. Okay. Am I saying that? Where like you're saying like you think they can achieve ten units of something or nine, but you you present ten to them mm. and they do that little stretch. Is that what you're talking about? Essentially, I mean, okay. I, that sounds like it might be from behaviorism. I don't, I don't know where because I'm I'm not familiar. There's different. We. I'm also just a dentist. Yeah. <laughs> I just read that somewhere. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, um, one one of the things we know about uh, learning is that if you think of like stages, um, you can if you introduce the stage above where somebody is at, you can that can help pull them into that stage. Okay. Um, but if you go too far beyond that, like that's not going to help like pull them up a, a level or a stage. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Um, and we see that with like because my dissertation was with moral development, and so. You know, if we have the stages of moral development and and you're in like the first stage, if you introduce concepts from the second stage, you can invite somebody to come into that stage. But if you in, in say like here's stage five and they're in stage one, it's not going to move them all the way up. Right? Oh, so too overwhelming. Well, they can't yeah. even comprehend things in stage five. Well, yeah. that's a business strategy too. That's I, I read something recently in my entrepreneur group um, that if you're in a room with people who are a little bit better or a little more successful, you'll become more successful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I see that in, in like the gym I go to, like right. the um, for jujitsu. It's like there's some absolute monsters in there. And you get so much better. And the people who come in get so much better because they're yeah. going against the competition. Yeah. And if they're going to survive and and stay there, you have to get better. Yeah. And, and it's, so you see that in life. Like, you know, it's a good idea to get – Get with people who are smarter than you. Yeah. Yeah. Because you will learn. What's that quote? If you're the smartest person in the room. Yeah, you're in the wrong room. You're in the wrong room. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm never in the wrong room. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh. So how often do you do jiu-jitsu? Four times a week usually. Really? Is that that? um, That's on Orchard Lake, right? Used to be a movie theater. Is that that gym? Oh, no, no. I go to um, a gym right down the street from here. Oh, okay. Uh, Assembly. What's that? I think it's your, your phone. Is it really? You're looking at the yellow. The yellow pages still exist. I thought I was, oh, that was so strange. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so, pages. what is it like doing jujitsu with people that are better than you? Humbling. Humbling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's the funnest thing. I one of the funnest things I do. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's great. How long have you been doing it for? Um, no, almost well, a year and a half. Uh, very consistently, but before that, uh four months before that. So about two years in total. Okay. Wow. Might be over a year and a half now. So, so what is it exactly? I mean, it's martial arts, right? Yeah, it's, like it's karate, but it's grappling. So it's like, okay. um, it's wrestling essentially, okay. but with submissions. Okay. Yeah. It's probably the best. What's the other it. one? It's like, is really Krav Maga. Krav Maga. Yeah. yeah. Is that similar or in some manner? I don't really, mm-hmm. I never trained Krav Maga, but what that seems to be is like an amalgamation of several things. Okay. So it's like striking and grappling. And things, yeah. But they don't, you know, they don't concentrate on just one form. Okay. I did Krav Maga for like a year. Mm. And basically they say they weed all the bullshit out of all the martial arts and distill it down to Krav Maga. Okay. Um, I'm not any better of a fighter <laughs> from taking it, but people in the class were really good. Mm. 
Um, and I did jujitsu too for a while. Oh, did you? Yeah. Nice. Um, it's super humbling and I'm not sexist. I'm air. I am in person. Um, <laughs> to have like a woman, like, who's like 30 pounds less than you, like get you in a headlock. And you're like, Oh fuck. <laughs> She's beat me. <laughs> yeah. Well, those people are really strong. Yeah. And, well, yeah. there's a lot of technique in it too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, strength is important, but, uh, technique can, can be mm-hmm. an equalizer for sure. For yeah. Sure. yeah. So we're coming up on the hour. Um, I can't thank you enough for coming on. We always end the show with one piece of advice. What do you think is a good question to ask for? What's one piece of advice? We make it specific towards the guest. Mm. Um, well, you asked earlier a red flag for okay. employees. So I kind of want to go in that direction. I just okay. don't know. Like you, know, like you said, I mean, I, I feel like the red flag question, it's hard to assess a person's personality like so fast, right? So is there a so red flag to... when people are hiring employees that if this if this comes up, don't hire them? <sighs> um I don't know, man. That's not in my wheel. Yeah. Yeah. Well what's I one mean, piece of advice? Here's a better one. Yeah. And then like you always said people come to you in transition when they're trying to find meaning. Um what's one thing you help your clients with to find meaning in their life? Well, I would say that one thing I do to help people in their life is to find meaning. Okay. Like that's how I would frame that question if it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that, how does that happen? How does that unfold? I think it's different for every person. Okay. You know? um, but a lack of meaning is devastating for people. What are avenues people find meanings? Is it through work? Is it through religion? Is it through relationships? It's through all those. Through things. all those. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's, it can be through, yeah, relationships for sure. Um, but you know, hobbies or interests and going after those things. Yeah. Um, it could be, you know, it could be through negative experiences too. You know, the forest fires in your life can, can kind of burn down what doesn't need to be there. And then that leaves what should be there and what you should go after. I think that's good. That's so good. How many people go through tragedy and then they never recover. Then other people go through tragedy. And they're better for it, or they're stronger in the well, end. You, yeah, I mean, and it, it it it's something that will befall all of us. So, you know, how you how, what you do afterwards will matter. And you know, it's not it is an individual thing, to a degree, but it's also like the people that are there around you when those things happen. Mm-hmm. You know, they can pull you out of it too. You you mentioned Elton John and all the things he went through, and the thing that was in my mind is like, but who is there? Was there somebody that just served as a counterweight? You know, just some kind of uh, maybe it was must have been. You know, yeah. maybe that maybe it was just an ideal for him or the fans. Maybe it was collectively yeah. his fans. Yeah. So is it safe to say? Because we always say this: you can't do it alone. You can't do life alone. No, I don't think that you. I don't think you can. I think what happens when you do, and I don't mean to take it to such a dark place. When, you can when we when we exit, but like we had the you know the tragedy in Oxford, right? And like, yeah. so what was going on in that kid's life in which his suffering became so unbearable that he flipped to say then the whole world should suffer yeah you know so there was no one there and this is what i would tell the students who i I work with it's like those are the kids that need you the most to stop and see what's going on in their Mm -hmm. life right how many people pass um people in that place and in that pain and never reach out and, and show empathy or show some sort of interest or connection and we don't know how far that goes you know like that little interest that we can show that moment day to day 
for somebody to kind of serve as a reason not to to find complete darkness, right? Because mm-hmm. it just takes one person striking a match in, in a cave to have a little bit of light. That's so yeah. true. So that's that's a really important piece yeah. of, of like of it not being a solo journey completely, or just one person being responsible for for their entire you know mindset. Yeah. So even one little small act of kindness can improve someone. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had clients, you know, say as much, you know, like where their depression had been so bad and then somebody just pats them on the back and they hadn't had they hadn't been touched in months and they're like, wow. Uh, and it's just serves as like, like everything's going to yeah. be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that person probably patting them, probably didn't even think twice about it. It's like, I do this all the yeah. time. Good mm-hmm. to see you. Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. We always ask one more question. Can we have you back on? No. No, I knew it. I knew it. Oh, He's yeah. the first person who said no. No, everyone says no. Everyone says, of course. And then we hit stop. They're like, and no. And they're like, that was the worst podcast I've ever been on. Yeah. Well, good. So, well, I've never been on one. So you haven't. Oh, so it's the best. You did amazing. Yeah, it's simultaneously the best. And, and the, the worst. worst. Um, but do you a, feel comfortable? It's a matter of perspective. Do you feel comfortable giving out your office phone number if people want to reach out for counseling? Um, and if not, I can cut that part out if you don't want that. I don't even know my office phone number. Wow. <laughs> how, would, how would people reach you that want to Do you want people want to, to reach to you? you? Um, if people wanted to, and I don't know if they like what they heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you, the best way to do it, and I've, like, you kind of asked that question, like how do people find me? People just end up finding me. So it's really, I don't advertise. I just, I have an office and, and you know, people who know me of some kind will refer to me. And um, But I actually just set up a website, but I haven't like, published it or put it out there yet so i don't even know what the domain name will be okay Okay. um people can search my name and that will pull up my like uh, what is it psych today and they can find me are you still in on hall road and no no No. i'm I'm in royal oak oh my gosh okay so will you spell your your last name yeah sure for the for the listener and for us w-u-m-m-e-l and that's brian wommel phd um extraordinaire all right well thanks for coming on all right thank thank you thank you Well, there you have it. Another great episode of Toothpaste, the podcast, the other side of dentistry. Please follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to our YouTube channel for more content. And if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please reach out to us on Instagram at Toothpaste Podcast or email us at toothpastepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>